0: Welcome back to the Simple Stories Podcast. This is episode number 11, and I'm excited to have you here. A quick shout out to Detour for providing the beats for today's episode. And today, I got a chance to sit down and talk with Helen Nickerson. Now, Helen and I met when we were both studying abroad in Perugia, Italy. And as we got to kind of get to know each other, as people do and and we're kind of talking back and forth I learned she has an incredibly interesting family history and she's overcome a lot in terms of of a concussion and you know she's a photographer and and she's on her way to becoming a fitness content creator and she just has an amazing story that I wanted to share with you all so I hope you uh enjoy the conversation and uh let's meet Helen Helen, welcome to the Simple Stories Podcast. I'm super excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me today.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And for anybody listening, we got to give Helen a round of applause because (laughs) she's a trooper. She's a true trooper. Um, She got her second COVID vaccine shot today. (laughs) Yesterday. Yesterday. Excuse me. She got Mm -hmm. it yesterday. And... Um, she, she muscled it out to hop on the podcast and, and uh, bring some, some positivity, some light, and, and to talk about her story today. So a big round of applause for Helen today. Thanks. Absolutely. Um, Helen, what's, what's really funny, I think, um, whenever I do these podcast episodes, I always like to start off talking about how we met. And for those listening, I met Helen when both of us studied abroad together in Perugia. We were in the same program, but what's the funniest thing about that is that our first real conversation happened on a train when we just happened to be on the same train traveling from Rome back to Perugia, Um, and Helen, you kind of talked to me a little bit about your story then. and, and various initiatives, you were, you know, people of Denison, like people of New York, different projects you were working on. Um, One of the things you also talked about was like your family story and history of of adoption. Can you talk to me about that?
1: Yeah, so the interesting thing about my family is my two parents who are from the US, one's from Ohio and one's from Oregon, they met studying abroad, um, learning Chinese in Taiwan. And so when they met and then they you know, got married, they had this big connection to Asia. And so then they went back and moved to Hong Kong, had three boys, lived there for 12 years, and at one point decided, oh, we would like to adopt a baby girl. And so after they'd moved back to the US for maybe another 10 years, they came back to China and I was adopted. And so now I have three older brothers and, um, yeah, it's just it's been a lucky journey and I'm happy that that's what was set for my path.
0: What was it what was it like growing up? Did did you feel like you fit in?
1: Um yeah, it was interesting. I didn't have very many other friends that were adopted. I had one other girl in my kindergarten class that was adopted and she also had three older brothers. So we kind of went through the journey together. But we never felt like we were actually from somewhere else. You know, it just was more of like, oh, we have like this new family, but they are our family, and there's no one else that we're, you know, connected with. And so we didn't feel any disconnect from, um, you know, the adoption process. But it's because we were adopted so young that we just knew nothing other than that. And the other interesting thing about that was we didn't really notice that we looked different from other kids and you know, as we got a little bit older in like second and third grade, we realized people would say something about, you know, like, where are you from? And I would say, what do you mean? I'm from here. Like, same as you. And they're like, no, you don't look the same as your family. You know, they're white. And then, you know, you're from somewhere in Asia. And they're like, no, we're all the same. <laughs> and I just never saw that, like the, the difference between us, but it's because my family raised us as we were all the exact same. And so I kind of came up I grew up with a special privilege to where I didn't really see a difference between like races in the sense of that we should be all treated differently. And I also had, you know, a cousin that was also black. And so we just all were one and we were all friends and there was no you know, issues. And I feel really blessed for that. But it was really funny to be growing up and realizing like, oh, yes, I have Chinese heritage, but I don't know much about it because I don't get taught too much about it.
0: (laughs) And at at what point did you kind of, you know, realize or what point, at what point did your parents tell you, um, you know, your history, your lineage, and uh, what was your kind of initial reaction?
1: Um, I think I was about seven or eight and we had to do family trees at school. And I didn't know what my family tree was. So I came back to my parents that day and I said, Hey, in class we did family trees and, and I didn't know what to put down. What is my history? But the interesting thing is like during my time of being adopted, it was with like the one child policy where, you know, most of the time girls were being given up and men were being, boys were being uh, kept because they could do the work and stuff. So the kind of normal way that people would be adopted is you wouldn't know anything about your family history. So they told me all we know is you were um, found at this specific fire station in a place called Shenzhen, China, which is in like the Guangdong province, I believe, near Hong Kong. Um, and then I stayed in that orphanage for a year and a half until I was adopted, but that's all they knew. And the orphanage gave me a name because I didn't even have one when they found me. Um, so I kind of had fun with it and I would just kind of make up things for my family tree and stuff because <laughs> sometimes it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable that I didn't know, especially when people are talking about like, oh, like my great grandparent came from here to there. So I'm like, yeah, my great grandparent probably went from Taiwan to China or something.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because it just like made me a little bit uncomfortable as a little kid, because you don't know, like you don't fully understand that stuff. But later on, I just fully adopted in my, my um, parents' history and stuff. And that's what I would start to tell everyone. And I would just say, well, they are my family. You know, there's no difference.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said something a little bit earlier too, um, about inclusivity and just being, I guess, aware of, of different races, treating people equally. Mm -hmm. Um, would you say that this experience really emphasized how the importance of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I remember like, (laughs) if I ever noticed somebody was getting picked on or anything, I would always be like the first one where I would say, hey, like, why do we need to do that? Because everybody has some sort of, you know, flaw or something. I don't know. And I'm just like, why can't we all be friends? Because that's the better way to go. Or you just don't have to interact with each other. There's no reason to have like negative negativity towards each other.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's yeah. kind of like, um, <laughs> you know, the, the word imperfect is right? mm-hmm. actually beautiful because if you break it up, it says I'm perfect
1: yeah
0: and and so it was interesting that you called it a flaw, but yeah, I, I think people everybody is kind of beautiful in their own way and and it takes people with diverse experiences to kind of bring that to light. And I think that's awesome that you mm-hmm. had that experience. and um, yeah, no, I think that's awesome. <laughs> and you kind of mentioned, um, you know, I guess standing up for people getting mm-hmm. you know picked on. When did that start? I mean, you grew up with, with all brothers. So yeah. did you kind of yeah. have to learn how to fend for yourself early on?
1: So the reason I, um, well, I got into a phase where I was picked on was at the beginning, I went to a school in Portland, Oregon, and I had one older brother that was there as well, and he could stand up for me. But then because I had such a great age difference with my other brothers, pretty soon we weren't all in the same school. And it was just me to fend for myself and then when i was 10 i moved to singapore for two years and that was totally different because you know i just kind of didn't have a sibling there and i also didn't know a single person and when i moved there for fourth grade that's when i went through a very like extreme bullying you know experience and it was really interesting because the whole time i went through it i never really I think some people, when they get bullied, they feel like they need to also become a bully. But for me, I just kind of realized, oh, you know, they're bullying for these reasons and you're just gonna handle it well to where they don't get anything from you and it doesn't make them like feel powerful. So by reacting to where it didn't really affect me, even though it affected me when I was home and stuff, it really helped because it kind of I don't know. I took the power away from the person. And by fifth grade, she stopped bullying me. And then, you know, she kind of lost friends because they saw how she was mistreating others around her. And so I knew that everything would work out the way it should, but it was kind of a long process. And then after that, I realized I would never take any of that if it happened in the future. So in the future, whenever I had any sort of incidents, you know, I would just immediately say I know that you probably have certain things going on in your life but we shouldn't do this it's not you know positive
0: that's a very very (laughs) mature way of dealing with people that I know I didn't pick on up on until you know I was in college and maybe even graduated from college um yeah I, I think that's a a really really mature way to deal with people um and it's 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 the right way, because mm-hmm. um, I forget who said it, but there is this idea that if you insult me, I have to accept the insult to actually be accept to actually be insulted. Mm-hmm. But if I don't, it's Nothing on you. Happens. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's on you now. You carry around that weight, and I think all too often people bullying. It causes a lot of trauma, especially at a young age. So you start to like judge yourself and get down on your own luck and say, you know, I'm not good. I, and then that starts to build up, and you begin to talk to yourself that way, Mm -hmm. and that's why you accept the insults because you believe it to be true, and that's part of why bullying can be so traumatizing. But for you, it seems like you were kind of like watching it almost in a third person perspective where you kind of mm-hmm. saw what was going on was that did was that the case the whole time or was was there a no. lot of like meandering <laughs> trying to figure it out
1: the very beginning i know i would try to like lash back but after maybe a month of me fighting back i saw that there was no good in doing that but you know in the very beginning i was just like oh you know, I'll leave something in their cubby box or something that they, (laughs) you know, something very petty and, you know, fourth grade. Um, But the thing that really made me more this way was because I had my three older brothers. I mean, the oldest is 11 years older. So I was always around mature people. And I would spend lots of time also with my teachers and stuff because when I was being bullied, you know, I didn't have any friends. So i spend time with the teachers and I learn about their lives and everything and I saw that you know like you could be like that in grade school but at one point you're gonna have to grow up and they showed me how to grow up early since they were becoming my friends and I also enjoyed being friends with at every age but other people sometimes thought it was funny that I was this 10 year old with my 40 year old friends you know yeah. but it's not like I hung out with them outside of school it's just like I would eat lunch with them and stuff
0: but there's also something <laughs> to be said about you know surrounding your like the people you surround yourself with, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes even at a young age, you just don't click with people your age because you're interested in in other things that like, you know, there's a reason they call they call somebody you know they say someone has an old soul, yeah, because they <laughs> are interested in maybe it's just music, right? That they don't kind of connect with, but. Mm-hmm. I, what was it for you, do you think, that like kind of attracted you to, to you know, teachers and, and mm-hmm. people of older
1: um, uh, ages? I don't know. So I always did have a couple friends that were in my age group when I was at that age, but I think it's just because I was also so close with my parents. That's why I connected so well. And I think others, when they're that age, they don't really connect with their parents that much. To where they spend, you know, like friendship time with them. Instead, they're just being parented by them. But the like interesting thing with me, after being the fourth kid, I always saw everything my brothers did and like the mistakes they made. If they were given consequences, and I never did any of those things. I, you know, I was the, I guess goody two shoes. But it's just because I didn't want to have to, you know, be in my room for. A month because I did something bad. I just wanted to be outside doing adventurous things, you know, like climbing trees or like, I, re- I like to horseback ride. But um, that's definitely a part of it, just by seeing the way that they developed and then the way that I wanted to. And, that gave and, me a big advantage. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: And, and one thing that you said really, that was really interesting too, was we talked about your relationship with your parents. Mm-hmm. Um, given the conversation we kind of started this off with. Yeah. Was that before you kind of knew your family's history? You know, did that ever change your relationship with them? Or would you say that like, it was never, you know, it always felt like family and it was never, mm-hmm. a, uh, like nothing ever changed.
1: So it always felt like family, but then when I went through the phase of realizing I was adopted, I had kind of a an awkward in-between stage of me kind of being confused of if I should call them my family or if I should call them you know like my adopted family or my real family but that's I think that was because I was eight years old and I didn't know anyone else that was adopted so I wasn't going through it with someone else and in my specific town adoption wasn't that common Um, but you know shortly after that I realized they're from they're my family so like they're the ones that raised me and made me who I am. No one else has done that.
0: And it can it can be really hard to feel like you're alone. Like you said, not mm-hmm. a lot of people were adopted. You know, it's regardless of of whether there's love or not, you know, it's it's it can be tough to kind of experience that by yourself.
1: Yeah. I used to get really uncomfortable with when people would ask me, this, you know, about my history. I would just say you know i was adopted from china and now i have these parents and this is my family but when they would dig to learn more i would kind of shut down and just say like can we just change the topic because i don't know anything else so i don't know what you want from me you know and then i would get a little bit like sad and also wonder more about my own history but i definitely got over that phase in high school And I was great at answering the questions confidently and it wouldn't put me down in any sort of way after that. It just took several years of hearing people ask me that over and over again.
0: Time heals all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) You
0: you also mentioned something at the beginning of the conversation about, you know, you were given a name, um,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, back in China. Um, Yeah. Is that something you still carry with
1: you? (laughs) So it's my second middle name. And the interesting thing about that is I have no sort of connection with it, but my parents believe it's important since the people who first raised me for, you know, a year and a half of my life gave it to me. But because I don't feel too much connection to my Chinese heritage, I think I've decided it doesn't really give me any sort of empowerment. So, you know, once I have the opportunity, I don't think I'm going to continue with using it in my full legal name. Um, But you know, I did I did appreciate the significance of it when I was a little bit younger. I just don't think that I need to use it in the future. Sure. Yeah.
0: Sure. My follow up question to kind of all mm-hmm. of this, because there was a lot of self discovery you had to do, obviously a really interesting history, a very interesting past that you kind of had to grow up with, learn about yourself. And then you kind of took on a role at at Denison, uh, people of Denison, like the Instagram Mm -hmm. page and kind of interviewing people, learning about their stories. That seems very connected to me. Because of what you had to learn about yourself, do you think you also started getting interested in in other people?
1: Definitely. And it was also because I was such a people person. Like, I think since I, since I, since I, I, (laughs) talk, I was a people person to where I would be that kid that would make friends at the grocery store, or I'd be in line to get on the airplane and I'd make friends with people around me. And my parents would say, you know, oh, don't bother them. I'm like, no, we're having a great time. I just, you know, we just talked about our road trip, like adventures or something. <laughs> and I just enjoyed always learning about everybody's experiences and where they came from. Um, so when I, you know, got into photography, because I'm a photographer as well, Um I realized portraits are my favorite because you get to tell the story and the photo and show beauty. Even though some people might not see the beauty in themselves, I could always figure out how to capture it. And so it felt very exciting and empowering when I would capture that and then show it to them. And they would, you know, maybe say, Oh wow, I can't believe that's me. I'm like, yeah, see, you, you can do it. Thank like, you. I think you're not photogenic, but I know you can do it. Um, so when I came to Denison, I knew I didn't have any connections here before I came in. I know other people, when they go into college, they have friends going into the same one. But I was moving all the way from the West Coast to the Midwest. And I told myself, I'm going to do something that's outside of my comfort zone, but also within my comfort zone. So I'm going to combine my photography with my people skills and get to know people I don't know. So I created this page and I actually kept it anonymous for the first two years and people would just send a DM into the chat or I would also reach out to others that I had heard about through the grapevine that were interesting. And then I would interview them and it was really amazing to just showcase a little bit about each person and then anybody could come to the page and learn.
0: What did you take away? What was your big takeaway from that experience?
1: Um, It would definitely be you really can't judge a person by what they look like because, you know, you never know what's going on with them or what they've gone through in their life. And there's also just so many hidden gems in the community that you should just give everybody the time of day. You know, sometimes we have the issue of getting too caught up in the pace of life and there's moments where you're short with someone, but it doesn't take that much more effort to not be short with someone. And an interesting thing that we've been dealing with this semester actually is we've discovered that the pay for people who work in like the cafeterias and stuff isn't very adequate and they're not being treated very well from their bosses. And that kind of disappointed me in the sense that like they're being so kind, even though they're not even being treated correctly, You know, they're not getting enough living wage every time I go in there, every single one of them is smiling and so friendly. So, you know, I've like gone the extra mile to chat with them a little bit about their lives. Now, whenever I'm waiting for my food and stuff, and it just, yeah, it made me a little bit sad that they're being taken advantage of, but we have actually, as a student body, um, increased the wage because we kind of protested, which was exciting. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. Wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, Power we, to the people. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. So somebody put it in our paper, the wage, and kind of outed the school. And within a week, we had a petition of 500 signatures that said, like, the students are not happy. We're not going to take this. You guys are going to increase the wage because we know how much we pay for school. So this isn't, you know, adding up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, for any <laughs> students who are listening who believe that they're powerless, yes, take it from this story that you're not. You have no. a lot more power than you know
1: yes every single voice counts it there's does.
0: there's power in numbers
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and and this kind of segues into the next piece i wanted to talk about which is um, your fitness journey uh, as well as mm-hmm. empowerment you know because i we we had a d- yeah. quick discussion about <laughs> that and we kind of talked about that night so i wanted to dig in into that a little bit um, and so really talk to me about your fitness journey where did it start because that seems to be your your big initiative um, at the moment.
1: Yeah so when I was a sophomore in high school I was an avid horseback rider but I you know suffered a really severe concussion from this wild horse that I was riding at the time and um, from doctors' orders you know they told me that I wasn't able to do sports for two years to let my brain heal. But I also went through a big um, kind of bed rest phase. So right after the incident happened for seven months, I would only be sleeping for maybe 20 hours of the day. And I would just wake up and eat a meal and then go back to sleep. And that's the way it went until uh, when I went back to school junior year, actually. And going through that experience, it was really interesting because I had always done so many sports, and sports was kind of what I knew. I needed to figure out a different outlet for me, you know, not to be driven crazy. And I decided I would, you know, start to learn how to weightlift. And, um, the way that I got into that was I watched YouTube videos because I was too nervous to ask somebody to show me how to do it because the gym is kind of awkward and also nerve wracking, you know, in the beginning, if you've never been in that setting. So I watched videos for maybe like a week or two, and then went in there and tried out some workouts. But in the beginning, I mostly just did the treadmill <laughs> and then a little bit of other things, but I fell in love with it really fast. Cause I realized how much power it gave to me and how much confidence you would get you'd also like gain this a little bit of a high after each workout so anytime I was feeling down or you know a little tense I would just go to the gym and it became my like happy place which sports used to give me but I wasn't allowed to do that so that just became my new outlet um and then I didn't you know keep it very continuous at first, just because I wasn't very experienced. But then when I got to college, I was around college athletes and a bunch of people who were interested in starting a fitness journey. And that's when I really like took off and I made sure I did it as a weekly routine. Um, But I think in the last two years has been when I've really become like fully confident in the way that I work out, and also I help others now with working out, and I, I love helping others work out.
0: So, a lot to unpack here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and before we get into, uh, you know, some of my questions about keeping yourself accountable and, um, you know, empowering others and what that, you know, how that's meaningful to you and, and, and why, tell me a little bit more about that concussion. Um, what kind of you had to, to, endure, what were you kind of thinking about? What was your mindset like at that point? Um,
1: um my, my mindset was, oh, I've had this huge incident happen and I'm never going to be able to practice sports again. And it felt like kind of the end of the world, honestly, because I couldn't even stay awake for you know, like two hours after this thing happened, and the crazy thing is, uh, you know, the typical thing that people think of with concussions is uh, head impact. But I actually stayed on the horse the whole time. It was actually just a continuous bucking incident, and I got off after maybe ten minutes of the horse bucking. And my brain had hit my skull a couple times. I just didn't know this until I went in for my MRI like two weeks after. So the next day I went to school thinking I was normal, but I tried to walk to class and I tripped down actually a whole flight of stairs and realized I'm not okay. I was fully off balance and I started kind of seeing double. Then I went to class. I thought I'll shake it off. I have a lot of fight in me so I try not to yeah I really try not to let anything take me down so I get to class and I remember my teacher asking questions and I had known them previously the answers but when they were asking me these questions it felt like they were talking too fast and it was almost a, a foreign language and I thought oh gosh wow like something's really wrong with me but I don't know what's wrong with me So I just make it through the class and tell them, sorry, I just can't answer your questions today. (laughs) And I get home and I tell my mom this whole experience and she goes, you're not going to go back to school until we go see a doctor and figure out what's wrong. Let's go get an MRI. And the interesting thing is they had to take the MRI scan twice because certain things you you don't see the first time or it's so small, even though it could affect you greatly that you just don't see it. So they did it twice. And then they told me, oh, yes, um, you know, there's this section that's been irritated. You need to stay at home for a couple months and then we'll reevaluate this um, healing process. And I got kind of fed up with the healing process pretty fast. (laughs) Um, I remember like the first month of my friends bringing me schoolwork, and just being like, oh, I just wanna be there. I, I sleep every day and all I do is sleep. I feel very useless, um, but that's all I can do because anytime I try anything more than that, I can't do it. <laughs> and that definitely gave me this huge weakness that made me aggravated. And I knew that once I was better, I was gonna use, you know, utilize all of what I can do because there's no time to waste. At least that's what I felt. Um, you know, you want to get every bit of every day because you never know when not to be glum, but you don't know when your last day is. And so after I finally finished my sleeping and uh, kind of painful period of my healing process, I actually had to go into like brain therapy to relearn how to do, um, comprehensive like schoolwork, actually, because I had no sort of retention in my brain after two months of not using it. So every day, like I had to practice (laughs) memorizing information and also eye tracking, because anytime I'd read a book, just because I had to go you know, from one side to the other, I would get a headache and I'd have to put it down. That's that was it. And it was insane that I would only read two pages and then I felt like I was out for the day. But. Every time I would go back to the therapy, I would get stronger and stronger. And she showed me, you know, these tricks to remember things. And it just felt so odd to be this teenager having to relearn how to remember things when before I had incredible memory. I'd remember anything somebody told me or anything I read the first time. But actually, I still have the issue of I have to read things two to three times now. And it, it aggravates me a little bit, but I've kind of gotten used to it because it's been so long. Um, I just know I need to be more patient with myself and it's just gonna be something that I'll deal with. I'm always so thankful that I don't have any residual um, like real ailments because some people after really serious concussions, they get um, speech impediments or uh, like lisps, a lot of things, but I don't have any of those problems.
0: Wow. It's it's unfortunate that it takes experiences like these that when you just described to actually really appreciate what the mind and body can do so naturally. You know, just reading a book, reading a screen. I mean, it's mm-hmm. something people do every single day and until you get into a scenario where you can no longer do it or you can no longer remember things like all of a sudden you're like crap I just took everything for granted
1: yeah I remember it made me really emotional when I was going through that process because somebody would you know somebody would ask me a simple thing and I I would just start crying because I would say I'm trying so hard but I have no clue Um, but it made me stronger and I'm happy that it happened because I definitely developed so much as a person through that process. I think I, you know, became more mature earlier, even though previously we've talked about how I did have a more mature um, outlook early on in life. It changed things even more of how I didn't want to waste anything. And I would put myself to my full abilities anytime I could.
0: Is is that around the time when mental health became really important for you?
1: Um, I think so. Well, it wasn't before the concussion, but definitely when I was coming out of the concussion. Yes. Right. Cause okay. I didn't know too much about mental health before that. It wasn't really talked about that much back then. Sure. Yeah.
0: And and then to bring us back to that fitness piece, mm-hmm. um, you know, there seems to be, in your, your case, and I think on a broader scale as well, um, as you mentioned, confidence-wise, um, a betterment, for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. in, in your own mental health when you did eventually regain your power back and started working out more. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, yeah, because it became like this... Passion for me and my new um, kind of go-to therapy, in a way, because once I was done with my, you know, brain therapy, it was my brain therapy, but for becoming my best self. Not, you know, to relearn the normal things you do.
0: Was it hard to to keep yourself accountable?
1: Yeah, it was. It was so hard in the beginning because I would remember watching other people in the gym. Honestly, the whole time I was learning the process of working out, I would just watch people and hope that they wouldn't think, oh gosh, why are they watching me? But um, as I would watch them and do the exercises, I always thought to myself, oh, shoot, what if I'm doing this whole thing wrong and I injure myself? But I always remembered, you know, less is better with weight wise. So I just stayed with light weights for a, a probably 6 or 7 months until I felt so confident in each exercise that I knew I was ready to take the next step and that might have also been out of fear of injury kind of like my concussion to where I didn't want to have a huge setback so I'd rather make sure I was fully ready for the next next stepping stone um yeah and then um after becoming sure of myself in the gym I started to realize Oh, you know, a lot of other people go through this, too, of this re- uh, this being nervous or not knowing what to do, so they just don't do it. But when I talked to more people, especially, you know, my friend group, and them talking about how they wish they could do the things that I was doing because they saw the joy that it brought me and how confident I became, I told myself, you know, I'm just going to bring them with me and we're going to figure out what works for them because everybody's going to have a different thing that will click but I know I can help them find it. And then they're gonna be just as happy as I am and they're gonna feel just as great. So, you know, I started with my roommate and I bring her with me and she would just kind of be my mirror self and we would just do the same thing the whole time. And then at one point we would just go to the gym at the same time and she would do her own thing. And it kind of felt amazing in the sense that it was like she was, you know, taking her first flight, after not knowing how to, and it's you know, like then they'd start going on up. their own I know and then they'd start going on their own, and I'm just so proud of watching them gain strength and confidence and just everything
0: when when we talked um, about having this this episode, you also mentioned that it was really, really important for you to empower women in the
1: gym.-hmm Tell me about that um so in the gym it's interesting because as a woman i've noticed the different dynamics that go on with where people kind of place themselves but i don't know if men would ever notice this because they're more in the um we're not, not as i was just I'm gonna, just gonna say more <laughs> of like the privilege side maybe because you 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 don't notice your
0: no privilege is invisible Mm -hmm. to those that have it yeah
1: yeah so i would go in there and realize oh wow i'm the only girl that's up here with the mirrors doing sets Mm -hmm. and there's like 10 women in the back by the stairs like under the stairs (laughs) what's going on here so i started talking to people and asking them and they would say oh you know it's really intimidating to be up near the mirrors because there's these people doing like 50 pound uh, dumbbells and I'm only doing 20. And I would always ask, okay, and <laughs> what's the, what's the issue here? And they would always say, you know, it's just, it feels like they're judging me that I can't do what they're doing. And I know as a person who's so into fitness that each person is focusing on their own goal And their self, and not in a bad way, but it is a little bit selfish when you're doing your own workout. You're not thinking about the other people. You're in your own space, in your own bubble, unless you're maybe spotting somebody. But I just told them try going up there once or twice and just tune them out, play really great music and tune them out. And after a little while, you're going to realize you don't feel any different but it'll be nice that you're around other people because it actually pumps you up more. And you being over by the wall, there's no one around you to give you extra energy to you know, keep going and push a little extra in that set. Um, Cause that's what I found. If I saw somebody with their you know, 40 pound dumbbells, I would be like, yeah, I'm gonna do 20s today. But it wasn't me pushing myself too much. It was just me realizing I can push myself.
0: That's... Uh... <laughs> It's overcoming your mind, um, yes. Because it's it's not that the body can't take certain things. In fact, the we can punish the body a lot more than than we realize because our mind is protecting us. It's telling Mm -hmm. us, "Oh, stop! This hurts." Right? Yeah. Um. Which is, it's it's like mental health and fitness is are so in a related and, and you know what sports it's sports mm-hmm. and, and the mindset is is so connected because it's about telling your mind one thing when it wants you know you to do another and I was watching this video of a soccer player who said it's not hard for my body. It it it's hard on my mind because it's not that I can't run and it's not that I can't run fast and run all game it's that my mind's telling me not to mm-hmm. and and so it you know that's you know you're kind of speaking to it a little bit uh, a lot of it, actually about being in the gym and and um you know where you place yourself is really interesting because it kind of as you said dictates a lot of your workout what happens next and um when we see other people doing what we're doing or what we want to do. I think it empowers us if we can stay away from comparing ourselves to them. Right. And, um, with, in fitness, I mean, go to the gym. It's, it's like, it's hard because you see these people, men, women who are just so incredibly fit and you're kind of walking. It's like, Oh man, do I belong here? You know? (laughs) Um, but the funny thing is. Is that, um, you know, when you're kind of walking around a mall or the gym or whatever, you're, you know, you're kind of thinking, oh, you know, like, well, I wonder what people are thinking about me. Like, if I stumble, like, are they going to like do that? And what's funny is that everybody is thinking that. So in mm-hmm. doing so, nobody's actually watching or paying attention to other people. Yeah. But in the gym, because the mirrors are all around, it's so easy to see people. It, it feels like you're being watched. Because you're almost like watching yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of a weird feeling. It's like you're watching your own video. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Which, watching yourself in the mirror, I guess you're watching your own movie, can actually be quite motivational because you're like, you know, we're going to get this extra set, you know? Um, Whereas if you're just doing it kind of behind, you're kind of like taking the power away from yourself to watch yourself grow
1: yeah that's so interesting you brought up the idea of how when you're walking around or something you're worrying about oh, what are they saying for me and I completely forgot that I used to always worry about those things all until high I mean, all until college I was that way I would always worry as well like oh if I don't go to that event are people going to judge me or are they going to think I'm lame? All these things. Mm -hmm. I have not cared at all, all of my years of college. If people were judging for any of those reasons of what I wore, what I was doing, you know, what I wasn't doing, I just did. Cause it's just a waste of time to worry about that stuff. And you should just be focusing on yourself and your own friends and family and getting to your goals. But it's so funny that I, I totally forgot that I used to be that way.
0: Yeah, I I mean, (laughs) I think, I think at at some point, all of us are that way, because as much as we maybe don't want to admit it, all of us are born with an ego, you know, Mm -hmm. to our to ourselves, we are the most important person that exists. So why shouldn't everybody else care about us? Right? Which is a double edged sword, because like, oh, I want people to watch me when I'm, you know, doing something cool. But if that's the case, like, oh, people are also going to watch me when I do something bad, and I'm going to be embarrassed. But I I think the reality of the situation is like, people are so concerned with themselves. And um, we need to be like more empathetic to ourselves, like when we mess up, because nobody's perfect. Nobody can be perfect. Yeah,
1: definitely. I think people also sometimes if they do mess up, they kind of give themselves a consequence, you know? They don't remember, oh, I need to be gentle to myself. It's okay. I pick myself up and then you move on. Because I used to be like that if I had a really bad day or something, I would kind of go into like a negative workout. I would work out so hard that I couldn't work out anymore. That wasn't a good way to do it. But later on I realized it's okay to instead like eat a whole pizza. And I would just do that instead if I was feeling bad that day or something.
0: Reward yourself.
1: But it definitely takes a while till you can realize you can do those things and still continue on with your goals. But before, you always think that that's just going to fully set you back. But it's just taking a little pause and also just caring for yourself.
0: When you kind of look back on your story, and it's – in a lot of ways, it's just beginning, right? But But when you look back on your story and you see kind of – where you've been, um, and what you've overcome, what do you, I mean, what do you feel about the future and, and kind of moving forward? Because I speak from personal experience. It's easy to like, I mean, regardless of what you've done in the past, get so caught up in like being lost about the future and what you wanna do in life and like, You know, everybody's asked that question as a kid, like, what are you going to be when you grow up? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'd be interested to hear your kind of your perspective on, I guess, that question, but also on when you think about where you've been, what do you think about where you're going?
1: Um, So for me, especially with, you know, graduating in a month from college, I think about i have a lot of different goals i want to be a published photographer and i also want to continue with helping people in fitness whether that be in professional sports or just personal training and maybe creating also a nutritional plan type thing to where you can just provide everything for people so it's so much easier for them to say yes i want to start this fitness journey rather than making up excuses um but Right now I am reminding myself that as long as you stick with your passions and your values, everything's going to work out the way it should. And there's no instant success. There are people who get lucky and they are successful early on, but they definitely have their own challenges that they'll either have to cross at some point or it has happened and you just don't know them. So like, for me, I am just trusting myself in the way that I present myself towards a career and my life that it will work out the way I want it to and I'll be able to achieve the goals I want to and not to worry too much because I do sometimes get too much in my head. I'm am a, I'm a big overthinker, but I don't share with others my overthinking process. I don't know if that makes sense, but... People don't know that I'm an overthinker, unless like I a like a closeted album. a closeted yes. overthinker.
0: Yeah, yeah, Sure. yeah, yeah. No, I, I, <laughs> so. I'm with you. I feel that as well. Um, Definitely. So, Helen, um, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about anything that's top of mind for you, and um, you know, let the people know where where can they find you. Um, you know, on social or, or websites, whatever it is. Um, where can I
1: find you? Um, you can find my photography at Helen G underscore productions on Instagram, and then it's, um, fit by HG also on Instagram for fitness and also just positivity about mental health or anything that has to do with us as individuals. It's just about empowering and also showing insecurities and every bit of the journey. I love that. yeah,
0: <laughs> I love that. And and for those of you listening to the podcast, you might not be able to see it, but Helen is wearing um, a very special hat—the um, Simple Brand hat um, in the charcoal gray color today. And uh, you know, there's there's a little bit of a com- camaraderie, a little partnership um, between the Simple Brand and and Fit by HG um, because we promote very similar missions and we're kind of on this this road together. So in the future, you may see some more collabs between. Uh, the two of us. and um you know i I think that it's it's so important the the work that that you're doing about you know body positivity um, and uh, making the gym feel accessible. And um have you thought about combining your experience with uh, humans of denison? And the fitness journey, and and kind of like, you know, interviewing people that maybe you're working with, um, you know, fitness-wise, and like kind of interview their story at the beginning, what they feel about fitness, and then a year, you know, or a few months later, what their what their process is, where they've been, and kind of like do a before and after in terms of mental health mindset. Because everybody does the before and after like fitness photos, but what about the story or like the the, the mindset?
1: I would love to do that on my fitness page. Um, I know for my human of Genesis page, I'll be handing it over to an underclassman
0: sure, in the yeah. next
1: month. But that would be amazing because that would show the, um, you know, interior changes and um, growth. But it's not all about the physicals, you know.
0: Yeah, it, I think it's it's more about the mental than it is about the physical mm-hmm. because that old adage if you if you give a man to fish he eats if you give a man a fish he eats for a day and if you but if you teach a man to fish which is essentially mindset overcoming um and pushing yourself to go fitness eat for a lifetime um so helen thank you so much for for joining me today on the simple stories podcast Uh, you're a phenomenal guest and i look forward to working with you in in the future
1: thank you so much max for having me
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Simple Stories Podcast. As always, a big shout out and thank you to our very special guest for joining us today. And I'd love to hear how you like the episode. You can find me on Twitter at Max G. Lieberman or send me an email at thesimplebrand at gmail.com. If you did enjoy the episode, I'd love for you to leave a review at the Apple Store iTunes podcast section. It certainly helps me keep producing the show. And I'd love to hear any feedback, comments, or any, any, anything you might um, like to share about the show. I really look forward to hearing from you.